Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about wanting things that God does not want for us. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you about a couple of things that we have coming up at our church. In just a few weeks, the Lenten season will be upon us, the season of Lent. If you don't know what that is, let me just say that it is the time leading up to Easter, and it is a time that the global church often uses to prepare their hearts for a celebration of Easter. At Creekside, this means that we do a couple of things, and those are the things I want to tell you about. The first one is that we have an Ash Wednesday service. An Ash Wednesday service is really a time for us to remember that we are frail and that we are mortal and that we are in desperate need of God. It is the beginning of the Lenten season. If you are in our area, that service will be on March 6th. You can learn about it by going to wilsonville.church slash Ash Wednesday. But even if you're not in our area and you want to check out an Ash Wednesday service, you'll be able to be a part of that online. You just need to go to wilsonville.church slash live, wilsonville.church slash live. We hope you'll join us in person for that, but if not in person, online. The other thing that we do leading up to Easter during Lent is that we always spend some time examining the life of Jesus. We do that every year for the six weeks, kind of building towards Easter. It is one of the coolest times of year, I think, in our church as we really just intentionally think about how great Jesus is. Please make sure that you tune in for our next series, which is a series about the people that encountered Jesus and the reactions that they had to him. I really hope that that you will join us for those sermons at our church. Or again, if you're not in our area, you'll tune in online. You'll listen uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And so let me plug, as I sometimes do, subscribing to our podcast. If you don't subscribe, then you'll forget to listen. But if you'll click the little subscribe button wherever you get your podcast, then you'll be notified and reminded when we upload those sermons. And it's all free, of course. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to this sermon. I really do hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So we start a series today on the topic of lust, as you just saw on the screen, and that's uncomfortable, I know, because when we think of lust, we think of men looking at things on the internet that they shouldn't. But I want to uh, talk about today and and hopefully sell you on the idea that lust... uh, goes far beyond that. That is a part of lust, and and that will be touched on in this series a little bit uh, as we look at, I think, really some deeper causes, some deeper root issues that are a part of lust. And and so today, I want to start with a couple of song lyrics that I think really demonstrate lust, and we would not think of these things as lust. The first one I like, the other one I don't and the last one I won't even quote the song I'll just tell you about it because I couldn't find any clean section to quote Uh, so how about this she was the one I wanted for all time and each night I'd spend praying that God would make her mine and if he'd only grant me this wish I wished back then I'd never ask for anything again that's Garth Brooks I acted like I needed to read it I didn't it's part of my soul but uh, (laughs) there's a form of lust in there and we'll come back to it or this one going 
way to a different genre. I want to be a billionaire so stinking bad. It doesn't say stinking though, but I want to be a billionaire so stinking bad by all the things I never had. I want to be on the cover of Forbes magazine smiling next to Oprah and the Queen. Oh, every time I close my eyes, I see my name in shining lights. Yeah, different city every night. Oh, right. I swear the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. Or Cardi B has a song called Money. I read the lyrics, you shouldn't. Uh, But it's all about lust in every kind of way. It's really disgusting. And and when we think of these songs, maybe with the exception of Cardi B and all that she sings, we wouldn't think of lust. We would think of, you know, uh, a hopeless romantic just wishing for a girl when they were in high school, or we think of greed maybe. But at the the root of, of these song lyrics is this thing called lust. Uh, let me just give you a, a, an example closer to home to kind of get the ball rolling on, on how lust comes in ways that we would never think of it. I think pastors struggle with lust horribly. And when I say that, you think of the examples of men that end up you know, sleeping with prostitutes or whatever and make the news, but that's not actually what I'm referring to. I'm talking about the lust to have a bigger church, the lust to be a better preacher like the guy down the road, the lust to have a a church building. When I was studying to be a minister, this is funny now looking back, but but I, I, I didn't ever grow, I'm not a car guy, like I'm not really a house person. I love that we live in a condo. I'm kind of like a retired person when it comes to what I think of as a good housing situation. Like I need people to mow my lawn for me. Uh, the idea of having a bigger house with more carpet to vacuum is terrible. Uh, but when I was in school studying to be a pastor, I would have these these thoughts of what my office would look like someday, which is now especially funny because I have an office in my garage uh, and we don't have a building. And so I was totally off, but there was this lust for, for this, this like idea of what my job would be like. And I think pastors have become some of the worst. I think it's one of the reasons that you see a cheapening of grace in the Christian churches today around our country. It's one of the reasons that, that pastors take shortcuts, one of the reasons that pastors burn out so frequently. I'm amazed at how many experts of the Christian faith uh, have books or podcasts out about how to not burn out, and it's always because they did it. I think somebody should write a book that never burned out and tell me how not to do it. But it's this, it's this drive for something uh, that we have in our heads, and, and I think it's really driven by lust. Um, and we live in this time, this weird time, right, where we are, we are inundated all day long by the successes of other people through social media. We log in, we spend hours a day looking at our phones, primarily on social media. That's what sociologists and researchers say. And, and for the most part, except for that, that you know, occasional friend who will come in with, with their struggles and their hurts, for the most part, you are staring at the best version of every person's life. I, I don't know if you know this about me or not, but my kids don't always smile. You know, it's amazing. Like, there are times when they are crying and they're disobedient, but man, not on social media, except for my profile picture right now, funny enough. But, but we, we put these, these lives forward that are our best, and I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying the problem is that when we look at other people's best lives, we really struggle because we think 
that's not me. I'm not doing that. What's wrong with me? And what it creates, I think what it's created, is insatiable lust. And we'll define that word in just a little bit. But insatiable lust in many people that is causing depression rates higher than ever before. And, this is so interesting, discontentment higher than in the history of our country. Uh, sociologists are now telling us how bad social media is because it wires our brains to just want more and more and more. It wires us for lust. And I think in this series what we'll do is, is we'll talk about what lust is, we'll, we'll talk about why it's bad this morning, we'll talk about how we can deal with it moving forward. But before we move there, I just want to just make a quick note that lust and jealousy kind of go hand in hand. And you might think in this series like, wait, is he talking about jealousy or lust? And I've preached a sermon series on jealousy, but the two go hand in hand. And just for the, the sake of kind of being on the same page, let me just say I think that Envy is having negative feelings because you want what is somebody else's. We'll talk about what lust is in a second, but let's put it this way. Uh, it's this. One is focused on the person. Lust is fo- um, excuse me, envy is focused on the person that has what you want, while lust is focused on the object that you actually want to obtain. And so, like, I mean, we think about the earliest kind of maybe picture of, of, or verse that talks about not coveting your neighbor's wife. You maybe know that in the Ten Commandments. And, and so, uh, the object of our lust would be the wife. The object of our envy or jealousy would be the husband because we want what he has. And so, uh, so again, lust is, or excuse me, envy is having negative feelings because you want what is somebody else's, and so the question is, what is lust? And Wikipedia, not always where I turn for definitions about things, but Wikipedia defines lust simply this way, and I think it's really good, as an intense longing, an intense longing. Some website that I found really early in my studies for this sermon series, like long before this week, uh, that I lost and couldn't find again, described, defined lust as an inordinate craving for the pleasures of the body. And the Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia, which is a great resource to find lust, is, and this is my favorite one, a desire for something forbidden. And here's kind of the overarching idea, the definition of lust that I'm working with when I talk about lust here because I know it's hard to break free from just this is looking at things on the internet that you're not supposed to look at. That What I'm going to talk about when I talk about lust in this series is the desire for something God hasn't given you and doesn't want for you. I think as I take a, a holistic picture of lust in the Bible. It is the desire for something God hasn't given you and doesn't want for you. So hopefully that just kind of, hopefully now the walls kind of come down. We're not just talking about what you looked at last night on the internet. We're talking about wanting things that God has not given you and does not want for you. And this is a dangerous thing, and we'll see why it's so dangerous, but one of the reasons that, that we should just start with is that at least Four or five of the other deadly sins, the seven deadly sins, they're driven by lust. I've, I've taught on one of these sins every year for the last, counting today, seven years now. This is the final one. We'll have this whole, this whole idea of the seven deadly sins kind of out there on the airwaves for our church now. If you want to listen to any of those sermon series, I think for me, they're some of the most important that I've ever preached. I don't know about for those who heard them, but for me and studying for them and learning from them, some of the most important I've preached. And, and as I 
came to this topic of lust, it's so easy to see that when we want something God hasn't given us and doesn't want for us, it leads to our gluttony. It's like driving how we think about food. It leads to anger. There's a passage of scripture in James that talks about how fighting and quarreling comes from these desires for things that we shouldn't desire. Uh, it goes into greed, like we want more and more money. We lust after things, and so we become greedy. And, and the way I've defined greed is not thinking about money the way God wants you to. And so we become greedy, just saying money is about me and what I can do with it for myself. And, and it leads to envy, right? Because they have it and you don't, and so I'm no longer going to like them. And, and I think I can make a case, I won't hear today, that it even leads to sloth or laziness uh, because we have these things that, that God doesn't want us to do and we just say, I'm gonna do them anyway and, and it's laziness. I wanna play this video game instead of do what God's called me to and, and so we become lazy. And so we'll talk about the main reason that lust is dangerous in this sermon this morning but, but it's important as we kinda start to say at least five or at least four of the other six deadly sins are driven by lust, and I would make a case that all five of the other ones are driven by both lust and pride, that they are the foundational sins upon which maybe all other sins are built. And I want to begin this series in the book of Numbers, which is not a book that we turn to very often here. Numbers 15, 37 through 39. I promise that this is all going to come together, and this really is about lust. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corner of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord. I know, weird place to start. This is a thing that is said during the Shema, which is this series of uh, Jewish-Israelite prayers that are prayed every single day along with two other passages from the book of Deuteronomy. And it, that means that it's very important, it's very formative for Judaism, for the Israelite people. Uh, and, and, and the question is, why? And we're going to really center that answer, the answer to that around why uh, in these tassels. We have one for you today. This is the description of, that we just read is these blue tassels. We made this one, but if you look them up online, this is generally the idea they would hang from the, the corners of like a winged style arm sleeve kind of deal. And, and they were reminders of something very important. And that is what we're going to look at uh, this morning. And it, and it matters, this color blue. Because blue distinguishes royalty. Blue distinguishes divinity. God's throne was wrapped in a blue cloth. Blue curtains adorned the tabernacle, indicating this is a place where the king of kings live. It was the color of the protective veil that separated all people from the holies of holies, the place of God's strongest presence, the same veil that was torn when Jesus died for our sins. Miraculously, by the power of God, it just tore just to say, hey, you have access to me now. This was a blue veil. Blue in essence, reminded the people that they were a part of a holy nation, something God declares to them quite clearly. He shows up in this fiery mountain and he looks at them and says, you will be my special people, you'll be my treasured possession, you will be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. This color blue is to remind people of who they are 
in God. The purpose of the tassels was to remind people of God's covenant commandment, including its laws, statutes, and precepts and principles. It's as if God's saying, hey, remember who you are and remember how you ought to live because of who you are. I think that in in Christian circles, at least, we can really forget those two things go so closely together. We can tell people over and over and over again, this is how you live, this is how you live, this is how you live, but forget like to tell people why this is how they live because God set you apart to be special for him. He's called you to be holy. He wants you to be more like him. You are to be lights of the world and you are to be people who express God's glory to the best of your human ability all the time and so therefore you live in this certain way. We can also just tell people who they are all the time without telling them what that means for their lives. Jesus loves you, he died for you, and we don't get much further than that. And, and we're really short, shorting people when we don't say, hey, because of that, God's called you to this. And these blue tassels that hung from people's fringes were reminders to these people that they were special to God, that God loved them, that God had made them a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And because of that, as he equipped them with his law and his commands, they were supposed to live in a special and unique way. And so they hung there to say, remember who you are and remember how you ought to live because of who you are you are the nation according to the new american commentary is reminded of that unique position they held by god's grace and then there's this next verse numbers 15:39 that you may obey them talking about those same commands and this is key and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes there is what's called a chiastic structure in this passage which means that the outsides point to the insides and so we have several verses here and and what's said first and what's said last is really meant to point to what's in the center it's the key verse of of the whole passage of scripture and so when we read this what we've talked about one remember who you are and how you ought to live because of who you are And we'll talk about the other one in a minute, but sandwiched right in between it is this call to not chase after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Again, the New American Commentary says, at the center of the structure is one of the central themes of the book of Numbers. The struggle of the people of God to be obedient to the instructions from God in the midst of a world that would constantly lure them into idolatry and rebellion. The call to not lust here is centered in God's desire for his people not to stray from him, to remain rooted in his love, to remain rooted in who they are and what he has called them to do. And when we see don't chase after the lust of your own hearts and eyes, we must remember that, that, that it is put there in the book of Numbers to say, hey, If you let lust drive your life, it's going to pull you away from God. That's the point. If you allow for lust to remain, it will pull you away from God. This word 
chasing after here is an interesting word because in chapters 13 and 14 it's used for spying out it can mean to go after or to explore and and we kind of know this, right? We're almost okay with this in Christianity. Like, lust is kind of bad, but, but if I'm just kind of exploring lust, if I'm just dabbling, if it's not controlling my life, if it's not an addiction, if it's just a little bit, if I'm just kind of spying out all these other things, if I'm just kind of wanting the things that God has not given me and doesn't want for me, then it's, it's just, it's okay as long as I don't go too deep, as long as, as I said, it's not an addiction, as long as, as it's not driving all of my life. And God is saying, if you're spying out these things, then you are running the risk of prostituting yourself, of leaving me. Your faithful husband, that's how God describes himself in the Old Testament to these people. He's giving an illustration for his love and how they ought to love him. And he's saying, if you're, if you're looking around wanting things that I don't want for you, things I haven't given you, then you're going to become an adulterous people, not faithful to the one that you are to be faithful to who has called you to be his special people and has called you because of that to live in a special way. I find it so interesting here, these, these two things that are connected to lust. The word lust is supplied by the NIV uh, here, by the way, but, but it's described in these two things, these desires of your heart and your eyes. And I think that all of our lust kind of comes through those two avenues, right? I've already talked about social media and how we lust after these things that are put in front of us, but man, it's not just what our friends are posting, right? Like, like, Amazon literally knows the things that I want and places them in front of me all day long, all day long. Uh, this doesn't happen as much anymore because of things like safe searches and uh, I don't know, the internet's just become better in some ways, but you can remember the days if you're as old as me when you just be on the computer and all of a sudden like naked woman just somehow enters your screen. You do, I'll tell you a story. Uh, one time, probably too much information, but uh, but... I was in church, not when we were meeting here, but this church, I was looking for a picture of the mother of Jesus. I promise you, I swear to you, I was looking for a picture of the mother of Jesus, and I Google searched Mary. I did not get a picture of Jesus' mother. I got a whole bunch of pictures of bad things, women. Um, I just couldn't believe it. It's like so innocent, right? And all of a sudden, it was in your face. Google's done a good job of helping with that now, it seems. That doesn't happen to me anymore. I can look for Jesus' mom, and it's okay. But things are, I mean, just billboards and movies and advertisements. We don't have to be seeking out, spying out these things that God doesn't want for us. The world finds a way to put them in our faces, whether it's a woman that God has not given us, whether it's an item, a car, a house, a new job, a bigger church, whatever it might be, the world finds a way to shove it in our face and our eyes see it and something happens inside of us. Lust kicks in. I don't really care if God wants that for me or has given that to me. I want it. I want it. But some of it is just what's inside of us, right? Like the, the desires of our hearts. I think the way that we grow up can really factor into uh, to these lusts that we have. I, uh, I'm a person who, who moved a lot as a kid on one side of my family. I lived in a lot of places um, 
And, and I know that, that one of the things that I have had to think through and, and overcome in my life is that there is this, this is weird, this is going to be a weird statement, but there is this lust for stability. And, and, and that has made me question through the years, like, will I be willing to listen to the call of God in my life if it means that I have to move, if it means that I'm going to have uh, some level of instability for a time in my life? I, I, I dread the day when God says, hey, I don't want you to pastor at Creekside anymore because I, I love you, but even more because I don't want to change, you know? I don't want to have to do something different. I just want to be the same until I die. That's pretty much what I want to do. I want to know what I'm doing next Wednesday until, you know, I'm 108 and I breathe my last breath or whatever. I'm just wired that way, and I know it's because of something that's in me that life kind of brought to me. We are hardwired for certain things. We know this biologically now, right? There are, there are certain proclivities that people can have that are just in them. You can be born into a family that, that has uh, alcoholism, and, and it seems, just my anecdotal evidence, that, that there is a bigger chance that you become an alcoholic. It's just hardwired into you. And so we're fighting all the time. Uh, these two extremely powerful forces, the things that we see with our eyes and our own hearts that are kind of messed up. I mean, Jesus saves us and he helps us and he heals us, but we, even if we're Christians, we come into Christianity with you know, our past decisions and all of these things that have, that have turned our hearts on to certain things. And God says, if you're gonna flirt with these things, then you run the risk of becoming unfaithful to me. Lust is, is a desire for things that God has not given you and, and doesn't want for you. And our eyes and our hearts all day long, we know this, are just saying to us like, want it, want it, want it, want it. And that's why, that's why it's so easy to lust. That's why it's so easy to fall into deep, dark lust. Because it's frankly natural to us and it's natural to the world. The Bible.org describes lust in this way. It's, it's what is directed towards anything, desires which attaches itself or upon its object. It is used exclusively of sinful desire, talking about in the Bible, which corresponds to man's depraved nature, the inward passion. When we look at lust in the Old Testament, it's interesting. This is, this is where I've come with my definition that I've already given you. In the Old Testament, this is going to shock you. When the word lust is stated, by the way, in the Old and New Testaments, it's a Hebrew and a Greek word that can be both good and bad. You can want things good and bad. You're like, I want to be closer to you, God. Same word for, I, I want that woman. You know, like that you should not want. That's the same word. And, and what's so interesting is that in the Old Testament, when this word is used in a negative sense, the majority of the time that this word that is translated lust in our Bibles, the majority of the time that it's used, it's not used in a sexual sense. It's used about the idolatry and practices of the surrounding nations to the people of Israel. 
The book of Ezekiel contains half of those references and it's always about the people desiring the things of the nations around them. The Israelites were supposed to be different. They didn't have little stone idols that they bowed to. Their their morality was different. I mean, one of the things that you can see so clearly the Israelites lusted after that, that ended kind of badly for them was a king. God did not want them to have a king. They looked around at the other nations around them. They said, everybody has a king they can look at. And God said, I'm your king. I literally have given you your laws. And they're like, no, we want a king. We need a big, strong king to lead us and to show us, you know, the way and to lead us into battle. And God said, fine, I'll give you a king. And it went badly. This is the type of lust that the Old Testament describes. The Israelites looking around, seeing these godless nations and saying, well, look, we like that. What if we could have that? Just a little bit of that. Now, in the New Testament, it is, it is more often used in this sexual sense. And you can see how it got there, right? God's saying, look, I, I don't want you to have sex outside of marriage. I don't want you to have sex with somebody that's not your wife. I don't want you to have sex with somebody else's wife. And you can see how this word lust becomes the natural word for wanting those very things. We'll turn more to the New Testament in a second, but I think Wikipedia again says something really important. Lust is the ultimate goal of almost all human endeavor. That's fascinating, right? This isn't somebody writing about the Bible, trying to prove a point, trying to say like when God said not to do this, it's bad. It's just saying like, hey, we, whoever wrote this, thinks that the ultimate goal of almost all human endeavor is lust. Continues. It exerts an adverse influence on the most important affairs. It interrupts the most serious business. Sometimes for a while, confuses even the greatest minds. Does not hesitate with its trumpery to disrupt the negotiations of salesmen and the research of scholars. Has the knack of slipping its love letters and ringlets even into ministerial portfolios and philosophical manuscripts. It's so easy to want what God doesn't want for you. And hasn't given you. And we do it without even thinking. Our ultimate goal as Christians, the thing that we talk about here at this church, is the the thing that, that should be the purpose of your entire life is to experience and express the glory of God. We should want nothing more than to be in relationship with God and because of that relationship as we just talked about with the blue tassels, because of that relationship then to turn around and show people how incredible it is to have a relationship with God by our life, by the love that we have for people and all of that. And anything that we want that is not connected to that pulls us away from the purpose that God has given to us. James 1.15 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. You want to know why you sin? And hopefully if you're a Christian, you're bothered by that, that you sin. You want to know why we sin? Because we don't learn to stop wanting things that God does not want for us and has not given to us. Lust is just this foundational piece of sin and and we're just always, hopefully always trying to stop the sin, stop the sin, stop the sin. 
But we can't because we want things that God does not want for us and has not given to us. 1 John 2.16, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. It's really easy to even mask this, right? Like, well, of course I want a bigger church because it's good for the glory of Jesus. But we have to be careful to identify that which is godly and that which is not godly. I've never been told in Scripture, I don't think there's a place where it says, uh, hey, every pastor, if you're going to be a godly individual, then your goal should be to pastor the biggest church possible. But we can kind of twist these things, right? Say, well, if I'm going to be godly, I'll just allow for that lust, you know? I mean, it's going to allow for that kind of little small lust. And John is like, Man, these things that you see and you desire in your heart, if they are not the things that God wants, that God has called for your life, then they're not right. Now, some of that takes discernment and prayer, right? I mean, does God want our church to get bigger? I think so. We continue to grow. But if it's the driving force in my life, and if I'm not pastoring you, and I'm taking shortcuts and teaching you things that are untrue or at least softer because I want to get more people in the doors, then Satan is one. And I've let lust become far too big of a factor in my life. The desire for something God hasn't given us and doesn't want for us doesn't come from God, obviously. That's what 1 John is saying. That would be weird. Surely lust is not easy, an easy sin to combat, says one author, especially in our age. Our passions are easily inflamed. And what was once a thorny and dark path that we refused to walk down suddenly becomes a slippery mudslide into a trap. Sins of lust are often addicting. Witness the lives of those who indulge in pornography for years only to find their brains engraved with the devil's iconography. Lust will pull you away from God. For many of you, lust is pulling you away from God or has pulled you away from God. Somebody that I know that, and I've, I've told this story before, somebody that I know that I'm close to uh, who doesn't live for Jesus and hasn't for most of their lives. They said once when they still were, uh, were doing the church thing, calling themselves a Christian, uh, they said it's impossible to ride two horses. You either, you have to pick one. And, and the point was you either ride, you ride God or, or you ride these other desires in your life. And until now, I'd never seen that as a picture of lust, but it is. I picture this white horse and this, this dark horse, one symbolizing good and one symbolizing evil, and one, the desires of God, the things that he wants for you, a better relationship with him, the removal of sin, more purity, more holiness, more worship, more experiencing and expressing his glory. And I see this other horse as, as money or sex or more alcohol or a, even a better job or more a bigger house, a nicer car. And it doesn't matter how innocent the lust object is, you can't ride both horses. You either jump on God and say, I'm going to follow you and do what you want, or eventually you'll be riding the horse that you currently don't want to ride if you're a Christian, and it will take you somewhere else. That's what happens to people. There are few exceptions of people because of logical argument 
or true conviction reject God. There's this book out there that my brother-in-law, Matt, has told me about. I've never read it before, but, but it's this book where this guy is trying to disprove the existence of God pretty much and show why Christianity is, is really, really just bad. It's dumb. But it does this funny thing. It's so honest at the beginning because it starts by basically saying, I came to these conclusions after I decided to leave my wife and have an affair and didn't like how the church responded to it. You, didn't, you came up with these arguments because you were looking for a way out because you lusted after something, you wanted something that God did not have for you or did not give to you. Most books aren't that honest. They just kind of jump right into the, there's why I don't believe in God. <laughs> so at least this guy was honest. But that's what lust will do. Numbers 15, 40, and 41 says, just this is so key. Remember, this is the other side of the sandwich. This is the other piece of bread that sinners around don't lust because you'll leave me. It says, then you will remember to obey all my commands and will consecrate to your God and be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. That last phrase translates more closely, I am Yahweh your God, which is a profound and emphatic statement and it concludes, uh, with these, it concludes two stories in, in the Bible where God has met with his people at Mount Sinai. I already told this story. God's voice booms. He gives them the law. He declares, you'll be my people. And in two stories where God is at Mount Sinai with his people, it includes that same phrase. At the very end, it ends with that phrase. I am Yahweh your God. It's this reminder of the relationship that God has given them by his covenantial love, by his hesed to use the Hebrew word. I love you. I care about you. I've been good to you. And he includes here, I have brought you out of the slavery, the, the oppression that you were under in Egypt. God says, look, hey, I want you at the beginning of this to remember who you are and how you ought to live. And so make these little blue tassels so that you don't stray from me. And then he says, don't lust in the middle. And here's the other side of the sandwich. Remember how great I have been to you. Remember the grace that I poured out of you. Remember all those miracles, those signs that I did in Egypt in order to have them set you free. Remember how I have brought you out here and made you my people, not because of what you have done, but because of who I am and how much grace I have bestowed upon you. He says, don't lust because of who you are and what that means for your life, but also don't lust because you remember how amazing I have been to you. And lust will pull you away from the one who has graciously saved you from oppression, from slavery. It's sad that for Jewish people, and this happens with a lot of symbols and it happens in Christian circles too, but, but these blue tassels, just become these things that they do, like these rituals that are detached from anything meaningful. Bryn was Googling, was looking on YouTube for how to make these, and it's really fascinating because so much of what Jesus uh, talked about when he wandered around and taught the, the Jewish religious leaders were, were kind of seen in these explanations for how to do this. It's like, well, you can't cut here, and you have to use this type of, of thread and, and make sure that you twist this way and not that way, because if you don't, then they're wrong, and, and you're doing it wrong. And what wasn't included in those how-to tutorials was, was this. As you make these things, remember who you are in God. 
and what that means for your life. And it's all because of how much he has done for you. We can turn our, our habits, our rituals into nothing, nothing meaningless. We can make them meaningless. But, but this passage is, is here to say, man, think about who you are and what that means for your life. And it's all because of God. And in the middle of that, so important is that you don't want what God has not given you and doesn't want for you. Because if you do, it will pull you away from those truths. That's why lust is so dangerous. I mean, I would just ask you the question, hopefully you know this, but who are we in Christ and what does this demand from our lives? That's a big part of the Christian growth process, right, is answering those two questions. But I hope that you know that as a Christian, you are somebody who is saved by the blood of Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you need to understand that what we believe is that God looked down from heaven, he saw us in our sins, he saw that we were just totally given all the things that we want that he didn't want for us, and he came down out of heaven in the person of Jesus and he died a sacrificial death for those sins so that if we give him our lives, those sins are removed from us. And as Christians, we believe that, that we are saved, but we believe that it goes beyond that. As saved people, we are adopted into the family of God. We now look at Jesus as our heavenly king, but not only as our heavenly king, but our heavenly father who loves us and cares about us and indwells us by his Holy Spirit who is walking with us and guiding us and leading us and helping us and encouraging us and inspiring us. We don't just believe that we're people that get to go to heaven someday. We believe that we are children of God and that demands from our lives that we would do everything we can do for him that we would serve him in every way possible, that we would wake up every day and not ask, what can I do to further myself in life? But we would ask, what can I do to bring glory to my Lord and Savior? That's what it demands. And we are that because of the incredible grace of God, a grace that continues to be poured out on us. He saved us from our sins, but every day we sin again and he still looks down and says, I love you and I want a relationship with you. And if you're anything like me, that same God, even when I start to drift, when I let the things of the world, the things that I see and the desires of my heart pull me from him, as the hymn says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. He keeps calling me back. He says, hey, it's me. You want me. You should want me. Come back to me. Come back to me. And so how dare I? How dare I when I know those things? Say, God, I know you don't, you don't want that girl for me, but I'm going to look at her on the internet anyway. Or, God, I know that, that you don't want us in a church building right now, but I'm going to get on Pinterest and dream, you know? I mean, how dare I say, wow, I wish I was somewhere else. Or, or and then this happens, this is one of the ways I can lust. How dare I look back on the things that God hasn't given me and think, if only, if only that would have happened or I would have done that thing. How much better would my life have been? And God's saying, I didn't give you that. And I don't want that for you. I want this for you. And so serve me here. I know that lust can just be this this thing that it's just a sin. Just a sin. But what the book of Numbers says to us is that it's not just a sin. It's a sin that will pull you away from living the life that God has called you to and equipped you for by his grace. And so this morning, I would ask you to make a commitment to try to remove lust from your lives. 
And here's what I'm hoping for you out of this sermon, that, it, that if you're a Christian, man, I hope you'll go home and you'll really think about the things that you want. Maybe journal about it. What are the things that I want that God doesn't want for me and hasn't given me? Think about those. And if you're not a Christian, I would, man, you got to become a Christian. <laughs> you just, it's so much better than, than all that your heart and your eyes are drawing you towards right now. And I know Christians can be such a bad example because we lust too and we start to chase these things. But all of us who are Christians would tell you that nothing else satisfies like wanting the things that God wants, wanting God, wanting a relationship with him. And so I hope you'll become a Christian. Let me pray that both of those things will happen. Lord, I just, I just know that, God, I, I lost and I'm sorry for that. I confess that in front of these people. Um, it's not the normal chain of lust, but for many it is uh, kind of the normal way we think of lust. It's what we can look at online or whatever. And uh, for some, it might be another person's spouse, kind of those more traditional ideas of lust. And I pray you break those chains. Those are hard chains to break, God. Uh, but for some, it's it's other things, God. It's drunkenness it's promotions it's more money it's a nicer house it's more stuff god a new computer a new phone a new watch a new whatever lord it's always something new and lord man it's so clear that those things never bring satisfaction lord i'm um always amazed at by the people that i that we read about in Hollywood who just never seem satisfied and they have everything that, that, that some of us lust after. And so I pray, God, for, for any in this room, any who will listen online that, that aren't Christians, that they'd give you their lives. Because Satan, the things of this world, it's just a, a bad taskmaster, God. It will, it will leave them feeling empty. And, and I just pray that they would look to you, turn their eyes to you, and, and find true satisfaction, true hope, true forgiveness, true love, uh, all of it, God. And, and, and for those of us that are Christians, I pray that we would repent of our lust. We would, even during this next song that we're going to do, God, we would talk to you about the things that we have lusted after. And God, we would do our best to remove those things from our lives. And I know I didn't get that far in this sermon. Uh, this morning, but I pray people would come back next week and, and start to look at how we can get rid of those things. But this week, you would produce a willingness in them to just rid their lives of lust because they know it can pull them away from you, that it will pull them away from you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just